it's good to be with you today. If you are joining us online, welcome. Glad you're with us. Amped, Blend, uh, Roan County, Bearden. Glad to have everyone with us this morning. We are going to be jumping right in, and we're going to be looking at a story that's very, very familiar to a lot of people. Even if you've never grown up in church, you've probably heard about the story of the flood, how many of you have ever heard the story about the flood? Go ahead. Okay, good. So we're talking about familiar things. And as I was thinking about the flood, I, I grew up with the story of the flood. Noah and the ark, right? And, and I remember being a little kid and sitting in Sunday school classes, and they had the flannel graphs. Remember flannel graphs? And the flannel graph always had like a picture of a boat, and on the boat were these animals, and they were just like floating on the water, and all the animals had big smiles. And then there was like a big grandpa-looking dude with a big white beard, and he's on the boat, and he's like waving to everybody. And that's the picture that I have. If you Google image Noah's Ark, you'll get like the thing in Kentucky, but then you'll also get like these pick images of Noah on the boat and waving, and the rainbow's already there. I'm like, wait, I don't think the rainbow came late. I mean, that's, that's the images that we get. We even do things with Noah and the ark. And, and if you did this, like, this is not a shame thing. But we put, like, our newborn babies, we decorate their rooms in, like, Noah's ark. And we have their baby blankets with Noah and the animals. And, and we think it's this cute story about a boat and animals and an old man and his family. But what we don't include in the pictures is the fact that there is the entire creation drowning under that boat. Because when you actually look at the story of the flood, it is a story of judgment it is God's judgment being poured out on the earth. Why? Because there was ever-increasing sin, and God in his righteousness destroys the earth. And as I was reading this story this week again, and I, I use the phrase, like, I was trying to read it with fresh eyes. I wasn't trying to read it with, like, all the flannel graph kind of history. And I was reading it, and I got to tell you, like, I was troubled. I was troubled because it's in that story that God's judgment is just completely seen, and, and it, it was troubling. But as I was studying this week, it's fascinating. When you look at the cultural context of that day, there, the flood story of the Hebrews that we have recorded in the Scripture, that's not the only flood story out there. In fact, there's actually a lot of people who lived in kind of the ancient Near East in that time. They all have flood stories. There was something within people that they had to come up with an explanation as to what happened in the world during that time. And it's fascinating to look at their flood stories. It's fascinating to see the similarities, and it's, it's crazy to see the differences. Because what's, what's funny is like, in some of the other flood stories, there's multiple gods, 
And so the multiple gods are getting frustrated because there is an overpopulation on the earth and the people on earth are making too much noise and it's disrupting the God's sleep. So in their frustration, in their anger, in their lack of sleep, I mean, I've been grumpy when, I, when I'm tired, you know, but destroying the earth because you're tired, that's a little excessive. And that's what happens. They, they get frustrated that the earth is making too much noise, so they say, we're sending a flood. And there's one story where it talks about that the God, one of the gods comes down and talks to a guy and says, hey, uh, I, we're going to save the earth and you need to build a boat. And the boat looks like a giant cube. And if you think about a giant cube in a global flood, a giant cube would never make it. It would sink. And yet when you compare the differences, when you go, wow, that's what's happening in the other story, when you look at the biblical account of the flood, it's not a God who is, who is reacting in frustration. He sees the sin of the world, and he's, he's not a parent that is punishing his children in anger. We see a God who is in his right mind, and he comes to Noah, and he gives him instructions of how to build a boat, a boat that would sustain the flood. You see, God was acting completely in his right mind. It's a story of judgment. And as we get started, I had to think of this story in light of where we were last week. Dave was up here last week, and his big idea that he had last week was this. God is better than I think he is. God is better than I think he is. Remember that? And I look at that and I go, yes, that's true. In light of scripture, in light of what I've experienced in my own life, I completely, yes, I believe that. God is better than I actually think he is. But then when I read this story, truthfully, I had to ask the question. And I think if we're intellectually honest enough with ourselves, we would go, I have to ask this question too. Is he really? In light of the flood story, is he really better than I think he is? Because if we just focus in on the flood story, if we just read Genesis 6 through 8, just in isolation, we have to ask, God, are you really better than I think you are? But the thing is, as Christians, we never read a story just in isolation. We have to zoom back out and we have to look at the whole character of God. We have to look at this story in light of the rest of Scripture. We have to look at this story in light of Jesus, and that's what we're going to do today. We have to look at that story in light of that, and it comes to this conclusion, is that God's judgment is actually better than I think it is. God's judgment is actually better than I think it is. Why? Because ultimately God is better than I think he is. And if he's better than I think he is, then his judgment is better. Why? Because God's judgment, and this is our big idea that we're going to talk about today, God's judgment creates new beginnings. God's judgment creates new beginnings. This is a pattern that you're not only going to see in this story right here, but it's a pattern that you're going to see throughout the rest of Scripture. We're going to see a pattern of judgment. And in light of judgment, there's grace. And there's going to be new beginnings. And you see that pattern all throughout Scripture. But in order for us to have a clearer view of Scripture, of judgment, grace, new life, we need to look at the way in which we approach Scripture. 
our worldview. Our worldview of how we approach Scripture, how we approach God, and how we approach the world. And our natural inclination is to have a humanistic worldview. This image kind of shows what a humanistic worldview looks like. This is kind of our natural state. We believe in a very real way. I mean, look at small children. They think, um, look at my dog for goodness sake. They think the world revolves around them. We think that the world revolves around us. We're the center of our universe. We are the hero of our story. And when it comes to things like faith, we try to find ways to let God into our story. And I gotta be honest, the church, we don't use the best language around this. We say, we need to invite Christ into our lives, into our hearts. And, and there, is there a truth of that? Yes, but the language, I think, kind of paints a wrong picture. That language keeps painting this humanistic vision that, that we're the sinner, and God, that you somehow, I gotta make room for you in my world. But the truth is, is that if we're gonna have a gospel worldview, it looks completely different. It looks something like this image, that God is the center of this universe. God is the center of the world. God, this is God's story. He's the hero of his story. And guess what? God invites us into his story. And if we begin to view the world as it actually is, which this is the actual way the world works is that it's God's story. He invites us in. In this viewpoint, guess what? God does not have to justify himself to me or to you. But if we walk in a humanistic worldview, guess what? We think that God should have to explain himself. If something doesn't make sense to us, God, you should explain that to me. I need it to make sense. I need to understand it. I was talking to a guy this week. And he goes, well, don't you think that God wants us to understand him? And I sat there a moment and I go, no, I actually don't think he does. And he goes, what? And I said, I actually think God gives us enough in the scriptures and by his Holy Spirit to know him, but I don't ever want to fully understand him. Why? Because God is so much bigger and greater and all more powerful than my mind can ever comprehend. I don't want to ever understand him. I want to know him. And I never want to have that as an excuse. Well, I'll never really understand him, so I'll just stop pursuing. No, he's a deep well that we keep going, we keep going, we keep going, and trying to know him more and more and more. And as we know more, guess what? There's even more to know. That's the God. That is the God of the flood. And so when we look at the flood story in isolation, it looks like a terrible story of judgment. But yet when we zoom out, we see that it's a beautiful picture of grace. That God has every right to judge the earth. Why? Because he is perfect, he is holy, he is sinless. And he looks at the world and the world is experiencing ever increasing wickedness and he has every right to judge it. And yet, in the midst of his judgment, he shows grace. If you think that this judgment, this grace, and new creation thing is, is not throughout Scripture, just think to a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated Easter, didn't we? What a picture of judgment, grace, and new creation that comes out of that, isn't it? We're going to get to that more here in a few minutes. So, 
Let's go ahead. We're going to jump on in. Genesis chapter 6 is where we're going to pick off, pick up in verse 9. It says this, these are the generations of Noah. Now, this is a phrase that it's going to be repeated all kind of throughout. We've seen, this is the third one, actually, that we've had the first one being, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. And then we saw a couple chapters ago that this is, these are the generations of Adam. And now it says these are the generations of Noah. There's 10 of these that you'll see kind of repeated throughout Genesis. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. And the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. You see, we're going to stop there for a minute. Because God picks right back up where he kind of left off in chapter 5, where there was ever-increasing wickedness. And God comes to Noah, and he says, Noah, I've got to do something about this. Why? Because sin, at its very core, grieves God. Sin grieves God. Sin is not dealt with lightly by God. Actually, sin is an affront to God. But here's what I do in my world, and I don't know if you're anything like me, but when I think of my sin, here's what I do. I don't look up at God, and I don't compare my sin to God's holiness. What I do is I look around. Does anyone else do this? I'm the only one. Okay, let me explain further. I look around. Why? Because what I do is I look at other people, and I go, well, okay, so I got... Yeah, I've got some lust in my heart, but at least I'm not cheating on my wife like that guy. And so then I look and I go, well, I'm not as bad. And, and I look and I go, well, I've got some anger in my heart, but at least I didn't do that road rage incident the other day that I saw. At least I'm not that bad. And so when I look around at other people, you fill in the blank. At least I'm not blank, so I'm not as bad as other people. And so what happens? I begin to justify myself. My sin's not that big a deal. So I just told a little lie. That's, I mean... That's not that big a deal. At least I'm not a perpetual liar. You fill in the blank with your sin. And I'm sure we all do that. You understand what I'm saying? And we begin to look around and we begin to what? Well, I feel pretty good about me. I'm not as bad as some other people around me. And yet, when we look at God and we look at the character of God, that God is absolutely, completely holy, what we see is our sin is a big deal, and our sin demands judgment. A righteous, holy, perfect God cannot tolerate sin. Sin has to be dealt with, and the only way that sin can be dealt with is through punishment, is through judgment. Why? Because our sin grieves God. And so when God looks at the earth here, he's going, this sin demands judgment. And that's what God does. You see, there's also a reality with this. 
Paul writes about it in, in the book of Romans. He, he writes about it in Romans 3.23. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I mean, if we're talking about a boat, we're talking about an ark today, right? We're all in the same boat. Every single person in this room, everyone who's watching online in all our venues, campuses, everyone you see walking around, we're all in the same boat. What is that boat? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, Paul writes a little bit later in Romans. In Romans 6.23, he says, for the wages of sin. Wages is an interesting word. A wage is something you earn. If you go to a job and you work your job, you work nine to five, you earn a paycheck, you earn a wage. And Paul writes, for the wage, what you earned, what you deserved is death. For the wages of sin is death. Sin demands judgment. And we are all in the same boat. If God does not intercede, we are all sunk. We are all under judgment. If God does not step in, we all deserve his judgment. We all deserve his wrath. And what we see in the, in the flood story is that God does just that. God intercedes. Look at verse 14 of chapter 6. God is still talking to Noah and he says, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. And he goes on to say, hey, this is how you are to make the ark. God came to Noah and provided grace in the midst of the judgment. God himself interceded. So why can we look at the picture of Noah and the ark? Why can we look at the story of Noah and the ark as a beautiful story? It's because God interceded. God showed grace in the midst of his judgment. He came to Noah, Noah, I need you to build me an ark, and I need you to build yourself an ark. And guess what? Our response when God intercedes is to believe God. It's to believe him. You see, God came and told Noah what he was going to do. He says, Noah, I'm going to destroy the earth. And Noah's going, that's not good. And God comes and says, here's what I need you to do. I need you to build me an ark. I mean, think about this. This, this makes no sense. Noah's going to build an ark in the, in the desert area. Noah probably had questions. What do you mean, build an ark? I'm going to destroy the earth with a flood. I need you to build a boat. And guess what it says in verse 22 of chapter 6? Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Noah did it all. God came and said, I need you to build an ark. Here's how long it needs to be. Here's how high it needs to be. Here's how wide it needs to be. And Noah did it. And God continued with the instructions. He said, here's what it's going to look like. It's going to have three stories inside. And all the animals are going to come and they're going to dwell on the ark with you. And there needs to be pairs of all the unclean animals and seven pairs of all the clean animals and they're going to be on the ark with you and we get to chapter 7 verse 5 and he says and Noah did all that the Lord commanding him commanded him God was pronouncing judgment on the earth God intercedes he shows grace and the only proper response to God's intercession is to believe him and to obey 
You see, belief in the scriptures always has the, the clue of, it's not just intellectually assent to it, agreeing with it. It's an act of obedience. And Noah believed God, and it showed in his actions. If sin grieves God, guess what? Obedience is God's love language. You want to show God that you love him? Obey him. God is pleased when we walk with him in obedience and do what he asks us to do. Guess what? Even when it's hard. Now there's a lot of like, I don't want to say myth, but there's a lot of kind of rumors that circulate around the flood that actually stem from very early on. And, and it's not hard to kind of extrapolate it out from Scripture, but there's a lot of stories like, oh, Noah was being made fun of as he was building the boat and all this kind of stuff. That's not in the Scripture, but it's not hard to extrapolate out. If the world was experiencing ever-increasing wickedness, if people were wicked continually, and a guy's building a boat in the middle of the desert that's humongous, I'm sure that Noah faced his share of adversity as he was building that ark. And Noah remained faithful. He remained obedient even when things got hard. I look at our culture right now, and I know how hard it is to remain faithful to God and to be obedient to God when our world is saying, that, that, that faith, that religious thing that you do, that's old, that's outdated, that's antiquated, that's, why do you do that? In a world that celebrates sex and the Bible sitting there going, hey, wait till you're married. Wait till you're married. Don't, don't live with your, with your boyfriend, girlfriend. Don't see if it's going to work out. Uh, trust that God will work it out. You don't need to figure it out beforehand. In a world that says, hey, it's okay. Just move in with each other. See if it works out. It's hard to be obedient to God when God says, no, I want you to wait. In a world that doesn't understand that, it's very hard to walk in obedience. It's very hard to walk in obedience to God when he says, I want you to be people of truth. I want my truth to be on your lips. In a world that says, hey, it's okay to kind of just kind of bend the truth a little bit. I mean, it just makes everyone kind of feel better. You know what I mean? In a world that we looked at last week, in a world that's in a downward spiral because of sin, in a world that we talked about last week that says, Sin actually might be good, and I would even go further that in our world, a lot of times, it's beyond good. We, we're being forced to celebrate sin. It's hard to be people of truth. It's hard to be people of obedience in a world that is celebrating the things that go against God. And yet, that is exactly what God is asking us to do, is to be obedient to him. And as we walk in obedience in all areas of our lives, guess what? God is pleased. And as we walk in new beginnings and uh, new life, what happens is God intercedes. We believe, and guess what? We experience those new beginnings and that new life. Scholars tell us that, that Noah was on the ark probably for over a year. 
I mean, if you thought COVID was bad and you're like, we were shut up in our own house with our family for a year, imagine, and you have like a dog and that was hard. Uh, could you imagine being on an ark with just your family? And, and can you imagine, it says that the sons had wives. Could you imagine being on a boat with your in-laws for that long? That's a long time. I love my, you better make sure you're, <laughs> there's a big amen right there. I mean, that's a long time on a boat with just your family and they have all these animals. I don't know what you do with all the stuff that animals produce. Do you just throw it overboard? I don't know. Walk up to the deck every day, throwing it overboard. That's a long time on a boat. And yet what happens is we get to chapter eight. I mean, they're floating on the earth for a while and we get to chapter eight and it says this, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. That's, that's a very weird phrase, isn't it? God remembered Noah? When we think of the word remembered, we think the only way you remember something is if you forgot it for a little while. And so it's like, God remembered Noah? Did he forget that Noah and all the animals are just floating along? And he's like, oh, shoot, I forgot about them. I wonder what they were doing. No. Whenever you see this phrase, here's a good Bible study phrase. Whenever you see this phrase in Scripture, it means God's about to act. It's an action word. God remembered Noah. And what did God do? God began to send a wind, and the waters began to recede. And what happens? Noah sends out, uh, a lot of people say Noah sent out three birds. He actually sent out four. Uh, he, sends out, he sends out a raven. And he sends out the raven while the boat's still floating. And the raven just takes off. And ravens are birds that they can fly for long periods of time up in the air. He t the raven takes off and he's like, I'm out of here, freedom. And he just takes off and leaves. So Noah waits a little bit longer and he sends out a dove. Doves can't have the same kind of flying power ravens do. He sends out a dove. And what's the dove do? The dove flies around for a little while. The dove flies back to the ark because there's no place to land. Noah waits a little bit longer. The waters continually recede. Why? Because God is acting. God is moving. And he sends out another dove. The dove flies, and he finds, and he comes back with a fresh olive branch, signifying that the earth is beginning to dry up. Olive trees grow in the valley. So what happens? The dove finds an olive branch, a fresh olive branch, signifying new life, new creation, new birth, and brings it back to the ark so Noah knows the waters are receding. He waits a little bit longer and he sends out another dove. That dove flies off and doesn't come back because it found place, found refuge on the earth. God wait, or Noah waits a little bit longer and God says, now it's time to get out. And what does Noah do? Noah gets out, he builds an altar before the Lord, and this is kind of fascinating. One of the animals that made it the whole time, he's like, I'm out. And Noah's like, sacrifice, worship to God. <laughs> and that's what Noah does. And Noah sees this new life and he experiences this new creation. And as we look at the story of the flood, we see clearly the pattern of judgment. We see the pattern of grace. We see the pattern of new creation, new life, new birth. And Jesus himself in, in Luke chapter 17 says this. He, he says that the flood is a picture of a final judgment that is coming on the earth. 
Jesus refers back to the time of the flood, the time of Noah, and he says people were eating and drinking and, and being merry, and then God brought judgment. And, and Jesus says in Luke that that is the way it's going to be. There will be a final judgment where people will have to answer for all the wickedness that they have done. And the truth remains the judgment is coming. It is a real thing. The Bible calls it the great and terrible day of the Lord. It is terrible because people will have to answer. People will have to give account. But it's the great day of the Lord because just as God interceded with Noah and said, Noah, build a boat, God has already interceded on our behalf in light of a final judgment. God says, they are all sunk unless I do something, and he has done something, and that something has a name, and that name is called Jesus. That we, for the wages of sin is death, but what? That verse continues in Romans 6.23. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That God did something for us that we could not do on our own. I've seen a movie a long time ago, and maybe you've seen this movie. It had Kevin Costner and Ashton Kutcher in it. It was called The Guardian. Anyone ever see that movie? Is a story about uh, rescue divers, Coast Guard rescue divers. And it, I think it's a beautiful picture of what Jesus actually did for us. And you're like, how is a movie of Kevin Costner and Ashton Kutcher? You're like, because what happens is when boats are in trouble and the, and the ocean is raging and the, these, this boat is sinking and the people are going down with the boat, what happens? A Coast Guard rescue helicopter flies out in the midst of the storm tracks down the boat, and guess what happens? All the other major world religions uh, would, would take a ladder and throw a ladder out and say, if you're good enough, you can climb up out of that raging sea and make it to safety. But what do rescue swimmers do? They jump out of the helicopter and they jump into the raging mess, the chaos of our lives. They jump in and they pull us into a rescue basket and they hoist us up to safety. And when I think about what Jesus did for us, that God interceded, he sent Jesus and Jesus jumped into the mess and the chaos of our lives. Right in the middle of it, he came as a baby, born in a barn, he lived a perfect, sinless life, the life that you and I could not live and we have not lived. And Jesus went to a cross where the judgment of sin was poured out on Jesus. The full judgment, God's wrath on sin, the righteous wrath of God was poured out on Jesus and Jesus took it all on the cross. That's what we celebrated on Good Friday. God has already interceded. And just like Noah, God came to Noah and said, I'm going to destroy the earth. I want you to build a boat. What did Noah do? Noah believed God. Noah trusted God. Jesus comes and he takes the wrath that my sin, that your sin deserves. It's all poured out on Jesus on the cross. And the only proper response is to go, I believe you. 
I believe you. And I want to submit my life to you. Why? Because the, on the cross, Jesus died to take the punishment that my sin, that your sin deserves, but yet death could not hold him, sin could not contain him. What happened? He rose again on that Easter Sunday, giving us what? New life. You talk about the beautiful picture of judgment, grace, and new life, recreation, new birth. There's no more beautiful picture of it than in the cross of Jesus. And he invites us to say, will you believe it? Why? Because in light of a final judgment, a final judgment is coming. It is real. It is the great and terrible day of the Lord. It's great for those who are in Christ. Why? Because the judgment that my sin, that your sin deserves, has already been dealt with. Praise be to Jesus. And I don't know about you, but that makes me want to live on mission. That we live and work with people every day that there is a judgment, there is a real judgment that is coming, and there's an urgency to get the word out that Jesus has done something, has interceded on our behalf, that we don't have to face it. Why? Because it's already been dealt with. So where do we go with this this next week? What do we do with this? The first thing is this. If you're in this room, or maybe you're online, or, or maybe you're in another venue, campus, whatever, if you've never submitted your life to Jesus, if you are living in the worldview that says, it's all about me, maybe for the first time, you're sitting there going, maybe this is God's story. And maybe I need to change my perspective, my viewpoint, that God's inviting me into his story. Maybe for the first time, you're sitting there going, I believe that. Friend, that's the only proper response to what God has already done on our behalf is to say, I believe that. And so if that's you, uh, we're going to be praying in a minute. And there's no, there's no like special prayer. There's no like, hey, say these magic words. It's a life that says, I'm submitting to the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to give you a chance in a minute just to, in your own words, tell him that. But we would love to come alongside you. If that's you, we're going to have prayer teams up front after service. They would love to talk with you, to pray with you. I'll be around. Uh, we would love to talk with you and pray with you. Answer any questions that you might have. But if you've never submitted your life to, to Jesus Christ, why not today? The second thing is this, is that you have to read this story in its entirety. Throw out the pictures of the flannel graph, throw out the baby blanket, and read the story in its entirety. And I, I bet it's going to trouble you. And it's going to trouble you when you just focus in on this story, but I want you to read it in light of the larger story of what God is doing. That yes, there is a righteous judgment that is poured out on the earth. Yes, and God is fully right in doing so. But every time that judgment is poured out, Grace is right there, and grace always brings new life, new beginnings, new creation. Read the story in light of that and ask God to show you what he wants you to see. Finally, here's what we're going to do even now. Is that we're going to ask God this question. God, remind me of a time when you were present when it felt like you weren't. 
Because I'm sure there was time on the boat when Noah was sitting there going, God, are you really here? God, was this really your plan? But yet we know that God was completely guiding and directing and working through the whole thing. So just in this moment, we'll give you a moment of silence to say, God, remind me of a time when you were present, even when it felt like you weren't. It's in this same time that I'm going to invite you, if you've never submitted your life to Jesus, that right now, maybe in your own words, just tell him, Jesus, I believe you. And maybe in your honesty, you're going, I believe you. I, I don't know what else to do, but I, I, I want to follow you. I want to be obedient to you. So just in your own words, would you tell him? He's listening. So God, thank you for revealing yourself. Thank you for showing us who you are. You know what Noah did when he got off the boat? He worshipped. He worshipped. A proper response to, to God interceding is to believe him, and a proper response to God is to worship. And so I can't think, even in this moment, right now in this room, all our campuses, all our venues, that the only proper response to God's intercession on our behalf is to praise him for who he is. So let's go ahead and stand in this room all across our campus. God, even now in this moment, would you help us to worship you?